to welcome our new members, and we have several of them. I believe there are five of them uh, that are being welcomed into fellowship here this morning. So if you're one of those folks, uh, Sarah Kate, if you'd come down, and Avis, and Barb Jeekins. Barb Jeekins, I think, is coming in second only to Geraldine Schmidt for longest attender without being a member. Uh, but uh, Geraldine joined us last year, so... Uh, and uh, Tom, Dottie, Austin, are they here? Yeah, come on down. All right. We get a welcome back. Uh, come on, you got to come on up here. Yeah, we get to fully embarrass you. It's great. Okay, come on up, guys. Give them a hand. Okay. Now, if you would gather up, you got to gather behind the podium. Okay, there are some vows. This is like your wedding. Okay. Uh, first of all, the answers to all these questions are, I do, okay? So again, just like your wedding. Uh, but this is important because being a member of Chillicothe Bible Church, to be a member here means that you are, uh, first of all, two things, that you have personally committed yourself to Jesus Christ, and second of all, that just as Jesus Christ is committed to the church, because it is His body, that you yourself are committing yourself to the church, and that you are uh, uh, committing yourself to be part of the public witness of the church. And by that, what I mean is this. When you become a member here, what we do as an elder board, essentially, and what we do as a congregation, is to say to a watching world around us, if you want to know what a Christian looks like, look at this, this person, look at that person. These are our members. These are the people with whom we are confident in saying, this person knows Jesus, this person walks with Jesus, and this is what a Christian looks like. And so, uh, so being a member is a big deal. It means that you are someone that we have examined and found to be living a consistently Christian life. And that we can identify you and point to you as someone in whom the Spirit of Jesus lives. Uh, so we're excited that these folks have joined us, but I'm going to ask them some questions and uh, they're going to answer according to their convictions. First of all, do you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and do you desire above all else to live for him? If so, signify by saying, I do. Do you declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in the confession of faith and in obedience to its membership covenant? If so, signify by saying, I do. Do you promise to support this congregation with your prayers? with your faithful attendance at its services, by your encouragement of our members, the willing use of your talents in its ministry, and the giving of your means as God prospers you? If so, signify by saying, I do. All right, we'll give you a word from the scriptures. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray for these folks. Father, you call us not to an easy life, but to a life that is glorious and is abundant because we are following the one who made life. 
we are following Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we are following him all the way through the ups and downs of this life into glory, into your presence. And Father, I pray for each one who is up here, for Sarah Kate and for Barb and for Avis and for Tom and Dottie. Father, I pray that they would live all the way to the end faithful. Faithful and following you. Knowing that there are going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be hard days to come. It's going to be one day, unless you return for us first, a day when we face down the last enemy. But Father, we face even death with the awareness that Christ has come and death is dead and we will be raised to new life. And so, Father, I pray for these that they might serve you faithfully, that they might exalt Christ in their words, in their thoughts, in their deeds, day by day by day, that we might proudly say of them, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name and asking for your Spirit's empowerment for each one. Amen. Uh, before you leave today, please greet these folks and welcome them. Give them the right hand of fellowship, if you will. All right? And uh, we're excited that they're with us. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Well, the last time I was with you in this pulpit, we were looking at Romans chapter 5. And Romans 5 is all about the amazing, incredible, glorious, wonderful grace of God, which is greater than all of our sin. Well, there ought to be a, somebody ought to write a song like that, right? Uh, it is gr- grace that is greater than all my sin. And it proclaims to us the amazing and incredible truth that where sin increased, grace increased to a superabundant degree to cover all of our sin. And it tells us in just a few densely packed verses that God's grace reaches down so low that no one and, and can ever, ever, Sin so much that God's grace cannot overcome their sin and bring them into relationship with God. That God's grace reaches so low, no one can sink beneath it. And these verses in chapter 5 are meant to drive us to worship and to give us joy and to give us a, a great love for the God who loves us, who has given us such great demonstrations of mercy and love and grace. Amen? I mean, if you, if you can read chapter 5 at the end of the chapter there and not conclude with David Crowder, which I've been listening to all week, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. And just be in shock and awe at how much 
God loves us. And it's meant to drive us to worship and to fill our hearts with praise. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? There are at least a couple of other responses that people sometimes have to hearing about the stunning love and grace and mercy of God. And both of these responses, by the way, are sinful. But they are very common. One possible response is to diminish God's grace to a more human-sized proportion and say, well, God doesn't save the really wicked people. You know, God saves by grace, but you know, if you really need grace, well, you're probably short. And so they start to divide sin into two kinds of categories. You might call them venial sins and mortal sins, if you're a certain cast of mind. And you diminish the grace of God in so doing. And you say, well, there are two lists, really, that God keeps. And these sins he forgives, but these sins, I'm sorry, but you're just short. And so we always create two lists in our mind and we think to ourselves, well, if you really are in need of God's grace, well, then it's really not available. I'm sorry. But the interesting thing about the people who make these lists is that they always include on the list of sins that God does not forgive the ones of which they themselves are not guilty. And so usually at the head of the list is something like murder. Right? And they say, well, you know, if you're a murderer, eh, well, you know, sorry. God can't forgive you that. Sometimes they sneak adultery onto the list. Sometimes they have other kinds of issues on the list, right? But then on the list of things that God can forgive, they have all the sins that they commit. Things like self-righteousness and pride and arrogance and rage, and immorality, and by the way, diminishing the grace, and the mercy, and the love of God. And they think, they think that there has to be that kind of a list of sins that God can't forgive And that in creating that, they're correcting one of God's great omissions. Because otherwise, if they, they, by the way, if God can forgive all sins, they think, well, then that means people can do whatever they want. And we got to protect people from making that conclusion. So we'll come up with two lists. Is that true? Is God's grace limited to only the sins and sinners we think of as minor. No, it's not true. And to a degree, these people are on to something. They're wrong. But to a degree, they're on to something. There really are people who think that the magnitude of God's grace means that it is now safe to wallow in sin without fear of God's wrath or his judgment ever coming into their lives. 
It really are people who learn about the magnitude and the depth and the width and the height of God's grace, and they think, well, that means I can now let my freak flag fly. I can do whatever I want, and now God has not only set me free from sin, he has set me free in order to sin. And so there are people like a a brother who sat across from me at a table once upon a time who said to me, well, I know that I am involved in pornography. I know that that is a form of adultery against my wife, but I'm going to continue in it because it makes me happy. And I think, don't you, pastor, that God wants me to be happy. I asked him to show me that verse. I've looked. It ain't in there. He says, I think God would want me to be happy. And by the way, I'll just confess it later. But right now, I'm going to indulge my sin. Well, there are really people out there who think like Catherine the Great of Russia, who said once upon a time, of course God will forgive me. That is his job. And who have decided that the grace of God gives them license to sin. Is that true? No, that's not true either. And I want to show you what God says about these issues. And he says at least three important truths that we need to see from his word. Before I show them to you, we need to pray. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that we will have ears to hear from your word, that we will hear your voice as it speaks, and that we will have hearts that submit to your rule and authority over us as our Father. Father, as we we walk through this, help us to listen and to obey. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Look at, look at Romans chapter 6 with me. Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at three important truths. First one is in verses 1 and 2, which says, if I'm summarizing, do not, do not live in sin. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul knows that some people might read what he has just written in chapter 5 and come to one of the bad conclusions that I just described of either diminishing the grace of God and limiting it to where God only saves certain kinds of sinners or that somehow God's grace gives us a license to sin without consequence. And so he asked the question in verse 1, are we to sin? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? If our continued sin, in other words, means that we become continual recipients of even more of God's grace, then maybe we should keep on sinning that we might be recipients of more grace. 
What does Scripture say? Scripture says two things in verse 2. It says, first of all, by no means. And here's, here's a place where having an understanding of the Greek text that underlies our English translation here, give you a little more understanding. In Greek, if you want to emphasize the importance of not doing something, you put a very strong negative word at the front of the sentence. And that's what Paul does. And you put that negative word right up front, and it has the force of saying, never should this happen. And the forcefulness of what Paul is saying here might not quite hit you like it should. So I just want to clarify just a little more. Remember a few years ago, uh, there's a pop singer uh, named uh, Taylor Swift, and she wrote a breakup song. Now, some of you are thinking all of her songs are breakup songs, and I know, okay. But she wrote one a few years ago about where she broke up with her boyfriend, I don't know which one, and he, she, this, the chorus of the song went something like this. We are never, ever getting back together, right? And then there's a whole bunch, and the song continues for three and a half minutes or thereabouts, and there's a whole lot of never, ever, ever in the song, right? In other words, Whatever scraps of relationship there may yet be between you and me, I have burned them to ashes, dug a hole, dumped them in, and salted the ground. Okay? It is over. We are done. And that is the forcefulness that Paul is saying, never should this happen. Never, ever, ever should our thought be That God saved us from sin at such enormous cost so that we could continue in it. A believer should never, ever, ever, ever continue in sin. Never mind try to justify it on the basis of God's grace. And the rest of verse 2 tells us why in the form of a rhetorical question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And the expected answer to that rhetorical question is we can't. We can't. Sin is dead to us and we are not to go and resuscitate it. God's grace came to set us free from sin, not so that we could sin freely. Let me say that again. God's grace came to set us free from sin, not so that we could sin freely. That part of us is dead, and it is supposed to stay dead. And in verse 3, he explains what he means by dead to sin. And what he means is that our old lives were buried with Christ. So look at the verse with me, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, I don't know what comes to your mind necessarily when you hear the word baptized, but in the New Testament, baptized carries the idea of being united 
and identified with Christ in such a way that whatever happened to Jesus also happened to you. That you are so united with Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit as you put your trust in Christ that whatever Jesus did, you did, and whatever happened to him happened to you. And, and let me be really clear, there are two, there's two words that are used, or two, t- two types of baptism that are discussed in the New Testament. The one is water baptism. We did that a couple of weeks ago with Peyton. And, we, and, and water baptism pictures, in an outward and physical way, what the other type of baptism, which is the one that is the reality that the, the water baptism pictures and describes which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then Holy Spirit comes into your life and he unites you to Christ and makes you part of the body of Christ. He is the head and we are the body. And we are united to him by the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, whatever has happened to Jesus has also, in a sense, happened to us. In the same way that whatever happens to your physical head affects your whole body, what happened to Jesus, our spiritual head, also affects us who are his spiritual body. Make sense? Hope so. All right, so water baptism doesn't produce these things in us, What it does is to remind us of the things that have happened to us already. And the point of all this discussion is this. That when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus was killed, when Jesus was buried, because you and I, by faith, are united to him, then When he was crucified and killed and buried, our old lives, whatever we used to be before we met Jesus, was also crucified and killed and buried with Jesus. Our old lives died when Jesus died. And when when he was buried, in a sense, we were buried with our old sin nature and with our propensity to commit sin and all of our sins that we have committed, all the ones that we will commit, all of that part of us that is our old nature was buried and died with Jesus. And that part of us was put to death by God's grace to save us from it, not so that we could revive it. And in the same way that a man who was bought out of slavery at great cost should never voluntarily go back to it. Or in the same way that a person who has had surgery to take out the cancer cells from their body would not voluntarily have them reinserted. We are not to go back to that old part of our lives that is dead. Our old natures and our old lives died with Christ at our conversion, and we are not to go back 
to the graveyard, dig up the bones, and like some perverse Dr. Frankenstein, try to give life to that which should stay dead. God, in His grace, put our old lives in the ground, and they are to stay buried. Amen? They are to stay buried. Now, verse 4 gives us Paul's conclusion here. So I want to read it and then explain what he's telling us. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So here's the conclusion, that, that Christ has done all of these things in order that, so that, with the result that, for the purpose that, we might live a new life. And, and the reason we were united with Christ in his death by the baptism of the Spirit was not simply so that God could put our old nature to death. That's important, but it's not the only point. It's so that we could live a new life. That we would live Christ's resurrection life on a day-by-day basis. That the same power which raised Christ from the dead, which by the way, how many people have ever seen someone raised from the dead after three days? This does not happen, amen? It happened with Jesus simply because God is God and he is able to raise the dead to life. And he is saying here, the same power which brought Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. And it is by that resurrection power of the Holy Spirit which dwells within you and which dwells within me that we are to live the new life. If it's true that we died to sin when Christ died for our sin nature and for our sins, then it is also true that we who are united with him in his death also live in Christ the resurrection-powered life that Christ lives. Our union with Christ does not end in his death and burial. Our union with Christ continues with his resurrection life. And just as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father to new life, so we also are given new life, our Heavenly Father, that we might live a new life in Christ. In other words, the point of, our, of God saving us is not simply getting rid of our sin, but that we might enjoy and walk in and live a new life with him. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to reflect on these, these things for just a few minutes here. i got a couple questions I want to ask us all. First of all, and this is absolutely critical, do you possess new life? Do you possess new life? life have you put your trust in jesus christ for your salvation from sin that you might possess the new life that christ offers i know that some of you have come this morning weighed down and you are looking for hope that there's more to this life than whatever you've experienced so far 
what I can tell you with all of the love of Christ is the answer to that question is yes. Yes, there is. There is much, much more than you have experienced so far. That is only found through faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sin and was raised to give you new life. But you do not get it by walking in the door. You get it by putting your trust in Jesus Christ in your own heart, with your own life, saying to Jesus, here is all of my mess, here is all of my life, it's yours, I need new life. And then committing yourself to follow him. And at the moment you put your trust in Christ, you receive the new life he offers. At that moment, you are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and you have new life. Question number two, are you living in sin? You know that it is possible to, li- to come to church regularly, to read your Bible, and to pray, and to give all outward appearance of loving Christ, and yet harbor sin and wickedness in your life. You know that that's possible? You can do that. You know how I know? I've done it. I've done it. And some of you have done it too. Do you know that a believer in Christ can give mouth to mouth to his old nature and revive it? And instead of living new life in Christ, live the old life they were supposed to leave dead? But here's the thing. God in his grace not only offers cleansing from sin initially, He offers it continually. And by God's grace, I found repentance and forgiveness, and you can too. You've come this morning and you are weighed down with a burden of sin that you have been carrying and harboring. And even as you come here to church and you say, oh, yes, brother, everything's fine. Oh, sister, yes, we're walking close with Jesus. And you are know in your heart of hearts that you are a fake and a hypocrite. Today is the day to confess your sin and to find grace and mercy and repentance. The scripture says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Paul, I mean, Uh, The psalmist writes in Psalm 32, When I kept silent about my sin, your hand was heavy on me all day long. My bones wasted away. And I confessed. And I found life. Life is available. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7 Isaiah the prophet says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, for he will have compassion on him. Return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's grace is really that wonderful. He really does pardon and forgive, and his forgiveness is that sufficient. 1 John 1.9 says, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. All of it. And be washed away in the blood of Christ. If you will simply come to him. Last question. Are you living the new life with joy? Are you living the new life with joy? You know, Christ did not come and die for your sins and send forth his Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we could grit our teeth until the glory, right? So that we could act like we are on some kind of like trail of tears or Bataan death march until Jesus comes and gets us, right? That is not the Christian life. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we are known by God by name. And he calls us his sons and his daughters. And we cry out from our hearts, Abba, Father. We will one day be clothed in white. We will one day bear around our necks a white stone with a name that is unique to us. Between us and God. Read Revelation, it's in there. To him who overcomes, I will give these things. And we ought to allow the knowledge of those truths to so permeate our lives that we are full of joy. Amen? Christ came to give life, and we have it. So if you're discouraged today, let me encourage you to preach to your heart these truths over and over that Christ has come and death is dead and sin is conquered. And you have new life by the Spirit of God and a new name. And one day all this stuff will be cast aside. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that we might live the new life, that we might look to our Advocate who is in heaven and seek Him with great joy each day. And remember that, that new life is ours, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to Your mercy, You have saved us and filled us and empowered us to walk with you. And Father, we pray in great joy. Amen. Well, now the hymn that we're going to sing was originally written in 1870.